Gee, uh, I was just talking with someone yesterday that life for us as we know it is just kind of a, you, you, we can't even measure our lives on the grand scheme of eternity, can we? It's just a little glimpse. It's like the heartbeat of God. We're here one moment, we're gone the next, uh, and until we're in His presence, we are not home yet. You know, uh, 18 months ago, Julie and I uh, decided that uh, we just sensed it was right to downsize and sell our family home. And uh, we began this journey, and so it went up on the market, it sold really quickly, and we found ourselves then living in a rental while we've been living for, uh, while we've been living, while we've been uh, uh, looking forward to building our new home together, and that's kind of coming really shortly. Well, uh, as part of that journey for us, uh, we uh, took up a rental unit back in Kennington towards the heart of the city of Bendigo. We've been living there, and it's been good for us, and it was really our hopeful expectation that as we kind of... Our home was built, we would just transition from our rental in Kennington into our new home back out here in Juniton. Well, it's good to live with hopeful expectations, isn't it? Because the reality is it didn't quite work out that way. Several weeks ago, uh, our real estate contacted me and said, uh, Dave, look, your uh, contract's coming up at the end of October and uh, your landlord uh, doesn't want to extend it. They want to actually move in. And I'm like, I got on the phone really quick and I said, well, hang on a second. I said, remember that conversation we had 12 months ago where I said, look, at the end of October, we just negotiate kind of one month at a time until we needed to move out. And the real estate agent said, well, look, sorry, Dave, you can't do anything about it. The landlord wants to come back in. So, as reality is, last weekend we moved out of our house, uh, we put all of our stuff in storage, and uh, we are not quite home yet. We, uh, in fact, Julie and I are living like young adults, and we're couch surfing. We're kind of moving from house to house while we wait for our house to be finished, and we get to kind of, you know, be in our, in our home once again. Uh, so, uh, you'll think this is quite funny, but uh, last weekend I moved into the retirement village just up the road here. I'm now living in Domain Village for a couple of weeks while we transition then to the next place we'll be staying in as well too. I think God's got a sense of humour. I'm not quite old enough to be in the retirement village, but just a couple of years away, but don't think that'll be happening in a hurry. But you know what? The reality is we're not home yet. And that's the truth for many of us here in this room, isn't it? That as people who are following Jesus, you know, we live in this space, in this tension between the here and the not home yet. And it's how we do that journey that really matters, uh, living in this tension. Uh, you know, uh, the, the Word of God tells us of what our future home will look like, but while we walk that journey, it's about doing it well as we follow after Jesus. A few, uh, I would say a couple of months ago, we started to, to dip into some different series where we were looking at some of the conversation of Jesus, some of the last words that Jesus ever had with His disciples. And for us, uh, in the Gospel of John, it's picked up really well, really, beginning in John chapter 14, and you can follow that right through into John 17. But in John 14, you've got this beautiful, uh, uh, this moment that they share, Jesus and the disciples sharing together in the upper room. They're engaging in what was known as the Passover meal, we know it as the Last Supper. And it's in this space that Jesus you know, shares some wonderful truths. He reminds them, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And as they leave the upper room and make their way towards the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, it's in this space that Jesus then begins to reassure them with a number of different things that he's about to go, but he's going to leave his spirit there with them. And, and that as he goes, uh, you know, they don't need to be worried. John chapter 16, he says, you're going to have trouble in this world, but you don't need to fear. You don't need to be worried about any of this because I have overcome the world. 
And it's on the back end of that that suddenly we are greeted with this uh, really long prayer of Jesus. In fact, it's the largest, uh, it's, the, it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus throughout all of the scriptures. Now, we know that Jesus was a great man of prayer because we see it throughout the Gospels. Luke probably uh, captures the, the essence or some of the, the prayers of Jesus in a really good way uh, as, as he dialogues. In fact, in, the, in Luke chapter 3, in the baptism of Jesus, we know that uh, as he came up out of the waters, that he was praying to his Father in heaven. In Luke chapter 5, we're told that uh, Jesus would often retreat or he would withdraw to lonely places to pray. Many of the times in which Jesus was praying was very, it was first thing in the morning before the sun had even got up. Now, for some of you here in this room or online today, the thought of actually praying before the sun has even come up is like, that's just a terrible thought to think about because you're a night owl. Well, Jesus often communicated, you know, he'd spend, he'd spend hours with crowds and then he would retreat to lonely places, to these quiet places where he'd restore, he'd renew his strength, he'd spend time conversing with his father. In Luke chapter 6, we're told that before he uh, determined or selected the, the 12 disciples that he spent all night praying with his father. Luke chapter 9. Up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, we find him there again, praying in private. There's so many instances of Jesus praying throughout the Scriptures. We know that he was a great man of prayer, but outside of John chapter 17, we actually don't hear much of what Jesus prayed about. And so as we look at that, there's something pretty powerful, important, and very special about this prayer that Jesus prayed because we get a heart into it. We, see, we get a glimpse into what he was actually praying about. And so if you've got a Bible this morning, I encourage you to come with me. John chapter 17. We're looking at 14, 15, 16. Today, I get the privilege of just kind of wrapping up this series called Not Home Yet. And that's the reality. If we know and love Jesus, we're following after him. We aren't home yet. We're heading home. But it's in this prayer that Jesus kind of gives us some principles. Uh, he shows us... I don't want to say how we ought to pray, but he shows us how we can pray. He gives us a pattern of prayer for our lives. Things that we, we, we can lean into with a greater sense of confidence because Jesus has demonstrated how we can pray when we come into the presence of God. So four principles that I want to talk about this morning. Uh, we're just going to do a bit of an overview as we kind of wrap this up, but four principles that show us how uh, we can lean into them we, 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 as we pray and commune with the Father. And here is the first one, if you're looking at the Scriptures. In John chapter 17, as Jesus begins this prayer, remember he's coming off the back of John chapter 16, where he has just told the disciples, you know, you're going to have trouble in this world, but don't worry. You don't need to fear or be anxious about any of this because I've overcome the world. And then Jesus starts in John chapter 17 by showing us the importance of praying with a sense of expectancy or a sense of expectation. This is how he begins his prayer. After Jesus had said this, so after he'd said this in John 16, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. That's the posture of Jesus. That's how he starts. He looks towards heaven and he prayed. Now, we don't know that Jesus had his hands raised in prayer as he looked towards the heavens like this. But it's a pretty strong case that might, that might have been the way he was praying because most devout Jews prayed. That was their common posture of prayer. 
uh, you know, when they, when they retreated to a quiet place. They were just kind of known for how they, that was their posture. It was a, it was a powerful sense. And in this moment, Jesus is praying, even though we don't know he had his hands raised exactly, but we know that he is praying with this great sense of expectancy as he comes into the presence of his Father. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what posture we should take. In fact, probably most of us here, if you're watching online today, you know, maybe you've been taught like what I was as a young child, that when you pray, you put your hands together. You bow your heads, you shut your eyes, and that's how you pray. That's fine, that's valid as well too. It's not a bad thing. It communicates something quite strong. In fact, you know, there's something good about putting your hands together. I I actually think it stops you from, uh, it keeps you focused and it actually stops you from grabbing a hold of your smartphone and wanting to, you know, here's a text that comes in and that, and you kind of pick that up and look at that again. You hold your hand, kind of helps with all of that. But as Jesus prayed in this moment, he prayed with his head looking to his head up, his eyes looking towards the heavens, and possibly with his hands raised out, praying with an incredible sense of expectancy. And you know, you see this throughout the Gospels. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 7, in what we know to be the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was asked about praying effectively. And while he wasn't talking about posture, he kind of talks about this sense of expectancy. See, my thing today, it's not to talk about how, what our posture should look like, but it's about this sense of expectancy. Uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, this is what he said about effective prayer. He said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so I want to just put it out there. It's a rhetorical question, but is this how you pray today? Is this characteristic of the the prayers in which you pray? You know, I I sometimes think uh, we get exactly what we pray for. We expect little from God. And so in in, in essence, then God gives us what we expect. He gives us very little. But Jesus comes into the presence of his Father in this moment. This is what I want you to get, is that he comes with an incredible sense of expectancy. Daddy, Abba Father, here I am. He's looking towards his father. He's coming with that posture, with that attitude. But I see a second principle here as well too. Uh, Jesus demonstrates the importance, I think, of praying with an attitude of intentionality. See, it's really clear if you read uh, through this entire prayer that Jesus is intentional from the beginning to the end. It's It's got a start, it's got a beginning, and it's got an end. And he doesn't kind of come in haphazard, just kind of throwing prayers up all over the place. Uh, There's a real focus to how Jesus prays as he prays to the Father. He spends the first five verses praying about himself. And, you know, I think that's good for us to see that, that, you know, Jesus does make about himself in this moment. But then he spends the next 15 verses from verse 6 through to verse 19 praying for his disciples And then he kind of bookends it all by praying for all future believers, for for people that are here in this room and watching online or or watching at some point, people that have made a decision to follow Jesus. He was praying for them in this moment as well too. And that's challenging for us because Jesus shows us that our prayers ought not to be haphazard. In fact, uh, you know, as we come into the presence of Almighty God, we want to come with intentionality. But there's something else that I want us to see about praying with intentionality. You see, as Jesus looks towards the heavens, 
it's clear that he's not just uttering some words to some distant deity that's aloof and removed. He's praying to his Father. Look what he says. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. This is a prayer from a son to a father that's, that's rich in relationship, but it's incredibly specific. Father, glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. In essence, what Jesus is saying, Father, would glorify me so that I can give glory back to you. Now, I don't think this is a prayer that maybe we could actually pray. You know, I find it very difficult. God, glorify me so that I can glorify you. Uh, it seems it's more appropriate for the Son in this moment to be praying those exact words before he's about to go to the cross. But he's incredibly intentional. His prayer is all about the Father. It's all about the Father's glory. You know, what are you saying? Father, unless you glorify me, I cannot give you glory. So would you glorify me? And then Jesus begins to outline several reasons why he's asking the Father to glorify him. And one of them is right there. I mean, he is saying, Father, would you glorify me? Why? So that I might glorify you in and through what, what I'm about to do in my uh, death and then in my resurrection. He's asking the Father. Now, a few weeks ago, I, you know, I, I talked about praying specifically or, or bringing our reasons behind why we might make a certain request. And I don't need to go back over any of that. So if you missed that, you can go back to week one and look at some of that. But, but Jesus shows us that prayer is about an attitude of intentionality. That when we pray, we don't just pray haphazardly, we actually come and we pray with, with beautiful intentionality. You know, the other day uh, I was driving back from Kyabram, I'd been over there doing a funeral. And as I was coming home, uh, I'd been on the phone, hands-free of course, talking to uh, Pastor AJ about a number of different things. We, we had a great conversation for about 30 minutes. And uh, uh, as I was kind of coming back into Bendigo, I just kind of found myself uh, beginning to talk with God, but, but the beginning to pray with intentionality. I mean, I've been really stirred in the past couple of weeks thinking about this prayer and thinking about when I pray, do I pray haphazardly or do I pray actually outlining the reasons and the, the, behind the request that I want to make? And I think that's what Jesus is showing us right here, that that's how we want to pray. You know, what might that look like? You know, uh, it, it's as simple as saying, you know, it might be a situation for someone that you are, you are concerned about, someone who's, unless God steps in and intervenes miraculously, that person's going to die. And so you're saying, God, would you bring healing into this person's life so that you and the, that you might be glorified? There's the reason. God, we know that you have a purpose and a plan around this person's life. But God, if you were to intervene in this moment, if you were to bring healing into their life, if you were to, to dramatically change the outcome of their life, then not only is your son Jesus, his name is going to be lifted high, but you're going to be glorified. You see the difference between just saying, hey, God, would you heal that person? You're bringing a, a reason behind it. Or another way of praying, you know, God's word says to us that his harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. We read that in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, you know, pray to the God of the harvest that he would send more people out into the harvest fields. What would that look like for us? It would, maybe it would look like us saying something like, God, you know what, your word says that your harvest is huge. 
And as we look around us, even in this own city, we see that there is a city that is, that is, that is going to a Christless eternity. They're not aware of this journey that we're on home to be with you. And so, Father, we are asking, God, we are pleading with you. We are asking that you would raise up more people from within our church more people that would want to explore ministry, more people that would want to do internships, more people that would think about maybe being trained and equipped and empowered and released to go and plant churches and multiply congregations. Why? Because your harvest is plentiful. God, we're asking that you would do that. See how that changes your press? Yeah, it just it brings such intentionality into everything that we do. Jesus prayed with a sense of expectancy, but he also prayed with an attitude of intentionality. There's a third thing that I see in this as well, too, is that as as Jesus prayed, it's beautiful. He shows us that prayer is a matter of balance. What do I mean? Well, it's not just about asking for things, but it's also just about having a conversation with God. If you follow along uh, in this, you know, we see it quite clearly. In verses uh, 6 through 8, Jesus says this. He's having a conversation. He said, I've revealed you to the ones, speaking to his father, I've revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They are always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and and know that I came from you and they believed you sent me. Is there a request there? No, Jesus is not making a request at all. In fact, he's having a conversation with his father. He's conversing like someone might have a conversation with a friend. It got me thinking, do I ever talk like that with God? It's actually quite challenging. I thought, you know what, I actually don't talk enough like that with God. Too often, so much of my own pattern of prayer is about, God, I'm just bringing some stuff to you that I want to just share with you that would you do something about? Or I'm thanking him for, praising him for, but then how much of my time do I spend just having a conversation, a dialogue? Now, I don't want to make prayer sound flippant or kind of frivolous, but it's really clear here that in verses 6 and 8 and then in verses 9 and 10 that Jesus is just having a dialogue with his Father. Just as a husband might have with a spouse or vice versa or, uh, you know, as we gather together as friends and we get excited about stuff and they might be aware of it, but we're kind of telling them again about our situation. Every time someone asks me about my granddaughter, I pull out a picture and I start talking about it because I'm excited about her. Or as I think about my house I'm about to move into, I said, oh, if I showed you some more pictures of where it's at and so I pull out my phone, I show them some more pictures. They're just kind of sharing that kind of moment as friends. And I think it's the same way with Jesus. He's having a conversation with his father. He's talking about what's been going on. But then it all shifts then again in verse 11. So he moves away from conversing to actually making a couple of requests for his disciples. In verse 11 he says, Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world. But I am coming to you, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. What's his request? That God would protect or keep them. 
See, knowing that his departure was imminent in this moment, he asks the Father to keep his disciples together as one. That's what he asks. He knew they needed to be kept or protected because their three years of discipleship school was about to be finished. They needed to be kept because they were about to undergo the greatest crises that they'd ever encountered in their life. They needed to be kept because Jesus was about to leave them. And so he is praying. You know, parents, you get what this is like. You know, as you release your kids from the nest, as they go, there is this sense within you that you're excited for them, but you are praying for them that as they go, there's a, there's a heartfelt yearning and all of that. This is Jesus. He is praying that his Father might keep or protect them. You know, they needed to be kept. And uh, I want to say that we too do need to be kept or protected today as well too, don't we? Father, would you keep us from division? Would you keep us together as one? Would you keep us from error? Would you keep us from sin and all the landmines that kind of sit out there in this world? Would you keep us as a church from hypocrisy? You know, Jesus prayed that God would protect them, that they would keep them, but then he moves on in verse 11 with another request, and he says, make them holy be your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, sorry, this is verse 17, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus asks the Father if he would keep them, then he asks the Father that he would either sanctify them or set them apart. When we think of that word sanctify, we often think that it sounds like something that's spiritually unpleasant. But that's not what it means. You see, it means to be set apart. Jesus was praying that in this moment, God, don't take my disciples out of this world. Keep them as they live in this world, but would they be set apart? Would their lives be distinctively different? Would you enable them to live distinctively different lives as they live in this world? See, they're prayers that we can still pray for ourselves, isn't it? God, would you protect us? But God, would you enable us to live in such a way that we can relate well to this world, but our lives are still distinctively different? That we don't just copy the patterns of this world, that you know, people see no difference in the way in which we live, but in the way in which we live, we are so distinctively different that people are drawn to the truth of the gospel message. And so you see in this prayer of Jesus, he shows us that prayer is not all about asking God to do things, and neither is it never about asking God to do things. There is a mixture of both. It's a matter of balance. And here's one last principle that I think is good for us to see. See, after uh, praying for himself and then his disciples, Jesus then looks forward, or he looks, well, he's looking forward into the future. But as he looks upwards, with his eyes raised towards the heavens with a great sense of expectancy, he, he looks forward into the future and he prays for people like you and me. That's beautiful. Here Jesus is thinking about all of those that are yet to embrace the, the gospel message. This truth that his disciples, he's about to go, he's going to be resurrected, but then he'll return to the Father and is left to these 11 men. 
And Jesus prays these words in verse 20. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. He's praying for us. He's praying for the young people here in this room. He's praying for the older people. He's praying for the, the workers, the, the retirees. He's praying for, for people that we're kind of living alongside of, our neighbours, our work colleagues. He's praying for all of those who are yet to hear this gospel message and he's praying with a hope-filled, a hopeful sense of faith. And that's beautiful. Now, we live on the other side of this prayer, so we kind of know how it's all worked out, but I mean, just think for a moment. In just a few hours, Judas was going to betray him. Peter was going to deny him to his face. And his, his closest friends would desert him in his hour of need. They would run in fear of their lives. If we knew that at that point in time, we'd be thinking, well, Jesus, that, that, is, a, that is truly a hope-filled prayer of faith. Would, would really? Would any of us be left here? Would any of us have heard this gospel message? But Jesus looks up towards heaven, he prays with a sense of expectation and he prays for you and I. He goes on to say these words. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given the glory that you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You see, Jesus' prayer in this moment was one of hopeful faith. He prays it believing that it's going to happen. Four principles of prayer. See, in essence, what Jesus is giving to us is he's praying to the Father and and, you know, I don't think we can pray this prayer in the same way that Jesus prayed it because it was incredibly personal. So, but this prayer is rich in, in so many things for our lives. You know, as we think about living in the here and the not home yet, uh, as we live in this tension of uh, in this world but not of this world, as we think about our eyes clearly on heaven and heading home towards all of that, it's got so much to teach us as followers of Jesus. You know, in essence, what it says to us today that if we know and love Jesus, as we take this journey home, it shows us, you know, that we can come before the presence of God. We can come in boldness and we can come and pray with a sense of expectancy, with great expectation. That our prayers shouldn't just be haphazard, but when we come with intentionality, we, we kind of bring our reasons into those prayers. And then when we come, we come with a, with a matter of balance. We, we, we can converse with Jesus and our Father in heaven just like we might with a friend, but we can also then bring our requests. It's a, it's a sense of balance. Finally, there is no doubt as we look at this prayer of Jesus that we can also pray, we ought to pray, with a hope-filled sense of faith, of, of expectancy that God is hearing us, that God is at work, that God is moving, that His kingdom is advancing and that we lean into that just like that. So as I land this, how do we apply these principles into our lives? You know, how do we ground that? How do we ensure that this becomes maybe part of our pattern or our rhythm of prayer? Well, I think we can do it in a number of different ways. You see, first, maybe today, maybe there is something that you need to be praying about for yourself. Jesus shows us that it's okay to pray for ourselves. 
that it's okay to come into his presence to ask things when we bring our reasons with that. Jesus shows us that we can do that and we can come with a sense of expectancy and hope-filled faith. Or maybe there's others of us that sit here today and as you think about this pattern of prayer and you're thinking about how this might apply to your life, maybe you are thinking about others in your life that you feel a, a real burden to be praying for at this point in time. You know, maybe it's a, uh, it's a friend's child or maybe it's your own child who's kind of strayed away from the faith and, and you're asking God that in this season that you would, you would just reveal yourself to, to that child in a particular way. Or maybe it's even praying for this church. And you're saying, God, you know what? Would you keep the leadership of this church united and together as one? Would you keep the ministry team in that same space as well too? And Father, would you help us as we are on mission to make sure that we keep your mission front and center in everything that we do? We know that you want to advance your kingdom. We know that you want uh, your gospel to be proclaimed right here in the city. So, Father, would you continue to do that and keep us together as one uh, on our mission of being and making disciples of Jesus Christ? Or maybe, maybe there's a third option as well too. Pray for ourselves. We then pray for others. And, and then we kind of lean into it even a little bit more. And maybe there's people in our own lives. People have not yet made decisions to, to trust Jesus as their own Lord and Saviour. It could be family members. It could be our neighbours. It could be those that we work with, those that we go to university with. And so we start praying. God, I, I, I'm, I'm praying for this individual. Or I'm praying for this person that I know. Father, would your spirit be at work in their lives? Would you give me opportunities to, to share the hope that lies within me? Father, I know that unless this person, unless they make a decision of faith for you, they're not going to come home. They're not going to be with me. They're not going to be with you. And so, Lord, I am praying that you would do something in their life. See, as I think about this whole idea of not home yet, the reality is that if we know and love Jesus, we know where our eternity lies. You know, this weekend just gone, I had the privilege of last Friday, I had the privilege of doing a, a memorial service for a family in our church whose mother had passed away. And uh, you know, one of the things that I always love and enjoy about funerals is it gives me an incredible opportunity to, to position some conversation for those that are in the room in two ways. It enables me to encourage all of us that believe and follow Jesus to remind us that we don't grieve as people who have no hope because we know that you know, our life as we live might just be a little glimpse like this, but we're going home to Jesus. But for those that sit in that room, there's always the opportunity to say, you know, as we close the eyes of the dead, it gives us an opportunity to open the eyes of the living. And as we think about this person's faith, that what they would want us to be thinking about is, where we too might place our own faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we have a responsibility, church. If we are following Jesus, we can't live complacently in the here and the not home yet. See, life is not just about kind of work, 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 and then when we've done work, we, we kind of retire and then we just kind of do whatever we want. No, Jesus calls each and every one of us into his mission. 
He calls us. He says, we've got a part to play in all of this, whether you are young or whether you are old, whether you're at university or whether you're in the workforce, whether you're in retirement and enjoying those golden years or whether you're, uh, you know, whatever it might be, we've all got a responsibility to live well on this journey in the, between the here and the not home yet to do it well. And so I, I urge us as a church to be thinking about how do we do that? You know, what's your responsibility in all of that? You know, how do we do that journey well? How do we live well in that space? I get that sometimes we make mistakes, and you know, that's the beautiful thing about God and His Son Jesus, is that that's not the end. Mistakes are never final with Jesus. We live under grace. But Jesus calls us to do this journey well, to live well in this space of the here and the not home yet. You know, I think it seems fitting today as we finish before, as our worship team will come in just a moment, that I want to give us a moment to actually lean into uh, maybe spending some time with Jesus. Pray in this moment that uh, there's things that are on our hearts. Maybe it's for yourself, maybe it's for others, or maybe it's for some other people that you know, that unless something shifts and changes, they're not going to come home. They're not going to head home on the same journey with us. And that really burdens you. As our team comes and as they just play quietly, uh, I'm going to lead us into a moment of prayer. And uh, just allow us to sit there for just a moment. And then I'll kind of bookend that prayer and we'll continue on in worship this morning. But I, I, I want to urge us, all of us, and if you're online today as well too, to in this moment, wherever you might, just sitting on a couch, sitting here in this room, that we take a moment. This is, this is a holy moment where we lean in and we pray with a sense of expectation that we pray uh, with great intentionality, that we pray, maybe it starts in a conversation with God. God, I'm just having a conversation. You know, as I came home the other day and as I was conversing with AJ and I got off the phone, I just started to talk to God about all the things that I was excited about coming out of that conversation. I wasn't praying for anything specifically to start with. Or maybe today, it's, it's you praying with a sense of hope-filled faith over whatever that might be in your situation. Would you join me now as I lead us into a moment, into this space and this time of prayer? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the prayer of Jesus. We thank you for the prayer of your Son. That's just so rich and so many things there for us to think about. But today, as we kind of wrap up this series that we are in, and as we think about what it looks like for us to incorporate some of those principles into our own prayer life. Father, I'm conscious that right across this room and online right now, there are people. God, you're going to hear every prayer that's being uttered towards the heavens right now. That God, you are able. Lord, that doesn't blow, that blows my mind or our minds, but you're able to take everything that is uttered right now, that's lifted towards the heavens, and you hear it all. Father, today we want to pray. We, we want to be people who pray with great expectation. We want to be characterized as people who will lean in and pray with intentionality and hope-filled faith. Lord, would you hear our prayers right now as we pray in this moment?
Father, we thank you that in your word you say, ask and you receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Lord, you're hearing everything that's being uttered and lifted towards the heavens right now. And God, I thank you that no prayer is too great for you. No request is too frivolous. Father, I pray that today, into all of our lives, we'd have a sense of having met with you. That you might turn up, we will will be able to share testimonies of how you've turned up in our lives because in this moment, in this holy moment, this sacred moment, we lent into you. We pushed in with a greater sense of expectancy. With hope-filled prayers. Father, your disciples, they had the incredible privilege of having your son Jesus alongside of them for three years. But when he left, he promised them that he wouldn't leave them on their, on their own. He, he promised to give them the gift of his spirits. And we just want to acknowledge today and pray that having the gift of his, of his spirit, having Jesus inside of us is so much better than him beside us. Every moment of the day, every waking hour, Father, we thank you for the presence of your Spirit in us, among us, around us, leading us. Father, I ask that as we make this journey home, for whatever that length of time might look like for us, God, we commit ourselves afresh to you today and we ask that you would help us to do that journey well. That we wouldn't take that, uh, take that responsibility flippantly or lightly. But you would help us to live in the here, to live between the here and the not home yet. You would help us to do that with boldness, with courage, and with great faith. Father, we pray, Lord, we ask that because, God, your mission is at stake. It's your kingdom that's being outworked here in this world that's at stake. It's what you want to do here in this city of Bendigo and around this state. It's what you want to do in this nation and this globe. And so, Father, we ask that you would continue to have your way and your will and your purposes in and through our lives. Father, maybe where we've lost sight of you, our eyes have kind of fallen away from you and we've just lived life in our own way. God, thanks for your grace that draws us back to yourself today. God, give us the, the tenacity to, to, to not uh, give up on that, but to say, you know what, this is a fresh opportunity for us, for me, and I'm going to live my life in such a way that honors you. And that may mean big decisions for some people here in this room today. It might mean foregoing some extra income. It might mean uh, not chasing something that they were planning on going to do because they're looking to you to say, God, is this what you want me to do in my life? It might mean somebody saying, you know what, I'm going to step into an internship in 2023 because I want to explore ministry and God, what you might be doing. God, whatever it might be, God, we yield ourselves afresh to you today and we say, Lord, have your way in our lives. You're, you, you are a way maker. Where there are obstacles, you'll overcome them. Uh, where there are challenges that we face, no challenge is too great for you. So God, we, we, we lean into this. We give it to you today. And God, we pray. That through our lives, God, you might be glorified. 
that your son Jesus might be lifted high. And we pray that for his name's sake today. And everyone said, 